Christianity has effectively become illegal in Canada because there's a whole huge part of our faith that we're not allowed to now comment on. We're not allowed to help people. We're not allowed to counsel people. You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. I just want to encourage you with the word that if you're feeling different than the world, that's okay. Christians are different. Christian families should be different. Um, That is just kind of the big word of encouragement I want to give to you today that you're, if you're feeling different than the world, that might be a good sign. That might be a sign of faithfulness. So I, I want to talk, first of all, tonight about Canada's ban. Um, basically, Canada, let's just be honest, has made Christianity effectively illegal. Um, it's not technically illegal, but we can't practice our faith in Canada in the biblically prescribed way. And so I would say it. Christianity has become effectively illegal in Canada. And so, you know, I'm, I just wanted to make a few comments about that in case you've been seeing it in the news and you're just really not sure, like, what, what's happening in Canada? So this was a good little summary that I found of the, the law here. And this is just from a, a blog, but it all centers around the terminology of conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is really a term that, quite honestly, um, is is designed as become like a scary term. And it's often misunderstood. And then a whole bunch of things kind of fly under the the umbrella of conversion therapy. So Canada has passed a law, and I believe it was unanimously passed through their government. And they're defining conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's uh, sexual orientation, to uh, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, which is male, female, you know, like um, making things congruent with their um, biological sex, changing a person's sexual gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to them at birth, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction, repress a person's uh, non-cisgender identity or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Therefore, anyone who influences a person to undergo conversion therapy or provides conversion therapy to that person could be fined or sentenced to up to five years in prison. And anyone who promotes conversion therapy could be fined or sentenced for up to two years in prison. Okay, so this law is going to be very difficult for historic Christians because the way that they have defined conversion therapy, which already is like this super scary term, you know, that you're supposed to think that 
what Christians are doing is giving electroshock treatments to people who struggle with same-sex attractions. I mean, that's that's what they're wanting to engender in in us emotionally. Um, I think that it's what this is doing is it's defining in such a way that even if somebody wants help with unwanted same-sex attractions, if they want to go seek out a therapist or a pastor to help them wrestle through their struggles and, and they see their struggles with same-sex attraction as um, temptation and sin, you know, that these are sinful acts, those people can't even get help. So if anybody is struggling with gender issues, you know, any number of gender issues, they cannot be counseled in a way that is congruent with God's word. And so this is what I mean when I say that Christianity has effectively become illegal in Canada, because there's a whole huge part of our faith that we're not allowed to now comment on. We're not allowed to help people. We're not allowed to counsel people. And so if somebody wants to live according to God's nature and design, um, and if a church sees heterosexuality um, as the norm, there is no mechanism for people who struggle with same-sex attraction to overcome that, work through it, talk through it, get help, get support, have a support group any of these sorts of things. And so the fact that it, that our faith is now, if you practice it in this way, that is very culturally relevant, you could be fined and you could be jailed or both. This is now criminalizing an aspect of our faith and effectively criminalizing the public practice of our faith, even the private practice of our faith. and. So it is sad times. Julie, my friend here, lives in Quebec and testifies that this is very sadly true. And this is just, this is where we are. So we have to think about this soberly. We can't think of like, oh, this is just, that's just Canada. That's just, that's just a law. That's no big deal. It has really no effect on my life. Well, yes, the country right next to us has effectively outlawed our religion. Like we need to understand this and it is coming to us. Um, West Lafayette, Indiana is trying to pass right now a very similar bill. So this is not just a Canadian problem. This, I think Canada is just paving the way for where some people in America want to go. So West Lafayette, Indiana is trying to pass a bill very similar to the Canadian bill. And uh, just today I was seeing that billboards are going up in that area of West Lafayette to, to begin to try to marshal a counter campaign um, to these things. I thought I had a graphic for this to show you the billboard. Yeah, here it is. So this is from a pastor in the local area. Uh, first billboards are going up. Let's use the unfortunate uh, 
West Lafayette City Council proposal to criminalize faith-based counseling as an opportunity to positively stand for individual liberty. People should be able to choose their own counselor, parental rights, religious freedom, and the separation of church and state. It's good for our community to talk about these values. So the billboard here is take a stand for freedom. And I think that that's an interesting way of framing the discussion. So they're framing it in a way of, you know, this falls under in our country, the, the concept of religious freedom and parental rights and individual liberty. So if you don't, if you want to go get help, nobody's forcing you. We're not talking about coercion. We're not talking about forced institution. But if you want to deal with your same-sex attraction, there needs to be a mechanism for you to do that without um, consequence to the, the providers, the care providers. And this is the same town where Purdue University is. And so it's a big college town. And, you know, uh, I think that th this is an important conversation that Christians wake up to because um, this, this type of action will make it illegal to encourage someone to align with God's design for their sexuality. And so we need to be aware of what this is and that it is coming to us and that we want to, um, if we're in leadership, to make people aware and, um, you know, that, that, that we need to maybe um, have more public conversations about this as Christians. I did want to highlight uh, my friend Natasha Crane's book again, because there's a couple of days left here where you can pre-order and still get the free audiobook for her book. And it's just right in line. If you're looking for a handbook on how to live in this cultural moment, how to be different, how to um, look at and live faithfully in a culture that is going against your faith, go check out Natasha Crane's new and forthcoming book, Faithfully Different, Welcome to Your Place in a Worldview Minority. If you or if you pre-order before the 31st, so there's a couple of days left, you can get the audiobook for free. So go check that out over at Natasha's website, natashacrane.com, and get that because that's going to be the handbook really for how to um, begin to engage these conversations in your everyday life and how to think about what's happening in the culture through the uh, Christian worldview. I want to say, you know, along these lines of being different, this is the scripture that the Lord was really putting in my heart this morning. And I put it over on the Center for Biblical Unity uh, Facebook page this morning. And it was a passage from the book of Leviticus. We just started reading through the book of Leviticus this morning in our family devotions. We did chapter one, but I wanted to read these verses from Leviticus chapter 18 because it's so relevant to the conversation of being different. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord, your God. So in other words, the government's not your God. These idols are not your God. I am the Lord God. You must not do as they did, as they do in the land of Egypt, where you have been living. 
So in other words, where you left, you're not going to be like that, okay? Uh, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, okay? Rather, you must or you must not walk in their statutes, in their ways, in their principles. That's what he's saying. So you're not going to walk like the people in the past, that where you, the land you just came from. You're not going to walk and live like the people in the land where you're going. You're not going to walk in those ways either. You must observe my regulations. And you must be sure to walk in my statutes. I am the Lord your God. You must keep my statutes and my reg regulations. Anyone who does so will live by keeping them. I am the Lord. I think this is so vitally important to, to have this as our lens in living in a biblically faithful way in the, in the middle of a culture. If you're feeling like you're swimming upstream, that might be a sign of biblical faithfulness. We're not going to be like the world. And we need to communicate that clearly to our children. If you're feeling different than your friends, that's good. Then that means we as a family are probably going in the right direction. Um, so when you think about ordering your family, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to say no. I know it's hard when everybody you know, all the other families are saying yes to something and you're the family that is saying no. I know that's hard. I know that's challenging, but we have to teach our children from the beginning now what it means to live as a worldview minority, as a religious minority, that our perspective is no longer the dominant majority perspective of our culture. We don't have those shame. Um, shared values anymore. And so we're going to have to teach our children from the beginning, you will be different. Our family will be different. We are going to make different decisions. And we as Christian parents are going to have to have a lot of inner strength and courage with the Lord to live in that way. Um, I think that that, that is... A, a vital perspective to give our kids. So Leviticus 18, those first few verses really just jumped out at me this morning when I woke up. The other passage that's really been on my heart lately is Acts chapter four. I want to share that with you too, because this is right after the uh, Peter and John heal a man at the temple. And, um, you know, he's, he's dancing around. He's a, he's a lame man. He's been sitting at the temple, you know, for years and years, people always walk by him every day. All of a sudden one day he's jumping around I'm like what happened? So Peter and John get called before the religious authorities. And they notice that these are uneducated and ordinary men. I love that description. In other words, you don't seem to have the proper seminary credentials. Okay, that's what that means. They were amazed and recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Another person who didn't seem to have the proper seminary credentials. Um, but then they saw the evidence right before the man healed. Like, I can't deny this. This guy that I've walked by the temple on the steps at the temple for years and years and years. 
here he is jumping around and praising the Lord. I don't know what to do with that. Okay. It is plain to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable miracle sign has come about through them and we cannot deny it. So to keep this matter from spreading any further, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus. So they called Peter and John up and they said, stop speaking in his name. But Peter and John replied, whether it is right before God to obey you rather than God, you decide for it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them for they could not find out how to punish them on account of the people because they were all praising God for what had happened for the man on whom this miraculous sign of healing had been performed was over 40 years old. So when I see this, this is a, a situation of Peter and John in a position where they are a religious minority and they bring healing to this man, this lame man. And then they're told, stop speaking in this name. And basically they just tell him, look, we, we have to, we have to do it. We, like, you, you don't have authority over us. You don't have jurisdiction over us. We are going to share anyways. And this has to become our posture. And so what, what we're going to happen is that Biblical counselors in Canada and America, they might have to start paying fines because they're going to say, well, I'm going to administer this treatment anyways. I want to give hope to people. I want to bring healing to people. I want to bring healing in the name of Jesus to people. I think the, go the gospel does isn't just about forgiving sins. It is about that, but it's also about the power of the Holy Spirit coming to reside in people, changing and transforming their lives. And so you know, people might, you know, if I'm a biblical counselor, I might have to be willing to start paying some fines. I might have to be willing to go to jail. If I'm a pastor, I might have to be willing to preach some sermons um, against, uh, you know, these these laws, these these unrighteous laws. I might have to speak up. I might have to pay some fines. I might have to be willing to go to jail. And I want to encourage you today, if you're between churches one of the things I want to encourage you to do is find a church where it employs that kind of a pastor. That, that, that you, you look for a church with a pastor of courage. You look for a church where the pastor's going to stand up and preach a sermon on the historic Christian view of marriage, even if there's a fine, even if there's a threat of jail. Look for a church that's going to support the biblically orienting counselors in the congregation who want to offer hope and healing to, to people who struggle with same-sex attraction. That's the kind of church you want to find. And if you have to go interview your pastor, talk to him, interview a prospective pastor, give him a hypothetical, what would you do if this law in Canada came to, to, to here? What would you do? Be specific. Because in this day and age, we want to find a pastor who isn't going to be the first one to hand over the roster of their congregation to the government when the government comes to call. Okay, so this is how we have to start to think. I know many of you are between churches right now. This 
and you're wondering like, how do I know what church is sound? Here, here's a very practical conversation you can have with a prospective pastor. What would you do if this law in Canada became the law here? How would you handle it? How would you preach it? It's a fair question. I think that is a fair, fair question. Laura says, yes, that's so true. My oldest is beginning to understand this. It's so hard at 12 when he just wants to fit in. Yeah, I know. It is. It's hard. It is hard. Um, I think my eyes were really open to this when I start interacting with um, people in um, from Egypt, Christians who had fled Egypt because of persecution. Um, you know, they, they have raised their children as a worldview minority for over a thousand years. There was some wisdom there that I could get from them on how to parent in that context. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a new skill that, that I think Christian parents need to, need to, need to think about. So, um, so when we, there was a, uh, a great quote that I saw today, um, because when we're talking about jurisdiction, what I want you to know is that, um, the government doesn't have jurisdiction over us as Christians when it comes to what we believe or how we practice our faith. It would be like you live in California and you get a bill from the, um, like a road tax bill from the state of North Carolina. They don't have any jurisdiction to send you a road tax bill from the state of North Carolina when you live in California. Those, those things don't have anything to do with each other. If I'm driving on the freeway in California, um, the local police in, in my city can't pull me over on the freeway and give me a ticket. That's not their jurisdiction, okay? So when it comes to the government telling Christians how to operate and how to practice our faith, that's not their jurisdiction. They don't have jurisdiction over us in that way. But what happens when the government starts thinking they're God? <laughs> when they start thinking that they do have jurisdiction over us in that way? When tyrants are becoming more powerful and flaunting their authority, citizens must risk losing their freedoms by exercising them. And I want to read that again so you get it. When tyrants are becoming more powerful and flaunting their authority, citizens must risk, their, risk losing their freedoms by exercising them. In other words, if you're going to be a biblically faithful counselor, if you're going to be a biblically faithful pastor, you have to be willing to risk getting fined, going to jail. You have to. Because that's how you push back against tyrants. You disobey. And here's the catch. If citizens do exercise their freedoms, they might lose them. You might get jailed. You might get fined. But they also there might be an outcome of preserving those rights. You might be able to vote people out of office. You might be able to have a change in leadership. You might be able to advocate and change public policies. Okay, go watch our podcast with Abraham Hamilton about that from, from last, last year. Um, so 
if you do exercise your rights, you might still lose them. You might still go to jail. You might still get fined, but you also might preserve them. On the other hand, if you don't exercise your rights, if you don't act like and you don't cooperate with the government who thinks they're God, you will certainly lose those rights. So that's what I want to kind of leave you with. I wish I had three other topics planned, but I got to go. I got to go have uh, dinner with my family. So we're going to just have to put a bookmark there. But what I want you to know today is that it's okay to live different. There, There is a reason and a blessing that our country has the freedoms of the First Amendment, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of speech. I know that those things can be difficult when people disagree with us, but those freedoms are foundational and helpful to us as Christians because someday we might be in the minority and we want our freedoms to be protected too. So we have, uh, Letitia says here, we've gotten soft. Uh, we've gotten comfortable letting little things slide, but now it's gotten to the point where it's no longer the little things on the brink of losing our freedoms and our children. Yeah, that was going to be my second um, topic tonight, but I just don't have time to do it is, is how um, the government not only thinks it's in charge of our religion, but it also starting to think that it's in charge of our parenting rights. And I had a whole list of um, examples, but I'll have to do that another night. But um, I hope you found this helpful. And uh, just, I want to give you um, just a word of blessing and encouragement today. Don't be afraid. Being afraid, you know, I think there's a reason why God says, fear not. When you're going into the land, as we as we read earlier in Leviticus, God said over and over to them, fear not. God is the Lord. He is the king. Fear God. Don't fear man. Don't fear these things. Be a biblical, historic Christian. Be different. Tell your children we're different. We're going to live different. We're going to make different kind of decisions. And understand your faith so you know um, why you're being different and when those key moments are to be different. All right, my friends, I hope you found this helpful and we will see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.